So really what who we want answers from is is the ownership. Like why are you doing this? What's the reason? Like for whatever reason, right? They got this thing going on where it's like a new trend. Um, like, oh, let's not pay these guys. I don't know, maybe they're just testing us. Like, hey, let's see what happens. But you know, you poke the bear, you know, and you know, you're gonna make us have to do something. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q, broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. And just like that, we're kicking off hour number two of the show, Unnecessary Roughness, Red Nation Radio 920. My man Ari in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. I'm in the home studio. Got to give a big shout-out to my man Roy. He just got hooked up with a four-pack of tickets to go to the Battle for Vegas. That's the Golden Knights and the Raiders this Saturday at Las Vegas Ballpark, a phenomenal place to go see a game. Uh, It's going to be exciting. I can't wait to get out there with the family. And, well, Roy and the fam is going to be out there as well. And you just heard Austin Eckler right there talking about the running back position, and that's something we've been talking about a lot here on the show and on the station for the last week or so, and especially yesterday as we found out Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, none of those guys got contract extensions. The only franchise player that did was a tight end in Evan Ingram. Joining us now on the phone lines from Monday Morning Quarterback at SI.com is Gilbert Manzano, our good friend at GManzano24 on Twitter. And Gilbert, just want to ask you off top, you had a piece last week about franchise guys and who you thought would get a deal and who you didn't. What do you make of the running back situation right now as it stands, knowing these guys just aren't getting paid? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, I got three out of four right. I was holding out hope for Saquon Barkley and the Giants to get a deal done because, uh, you know, they you know they paid guys like Daniel Jones. They paid Dexter Lawrence. It felt like the Giants wanted to keep that core group and, you know, a guy who's so valuable to that core is Saquon Barkley. So I felt like they might get something done there. You know, with the Raiders and Josh McDaniels and, and Josh Jacobs, it felt like a different kind of scenario. But then you hear the reports about Josh Josh Jacobs being in, in the parking lot with Max Crosby. Maybe they're going to get a deal done uh, pretty close. So I think what that tells me, like, yeah, the Giants and the Raiders were interested in retaining their, their star workhorse uh, running back, but they had, like, a price. They they drew us a, a line in the sand and said, we're not going to go past this. You can hang out in the parking lot, Josh Jacobs, with Max Crosby, one of our highest-paced players. But we're not going to go past this. And that kind of told me, like, there's a number there. You know, we don't really know what it is. It, it looks like it's probably below $10 million per year or around there. And the owners don't want to go above that. Yeah, it's it's really a, a, a sad situation, I think, with the running back position because we know how valuable they are to their respective teams. And you know the kind of punishment they take on the field, game in and game out, even with blocking, even when it comes to not carrying the ball, just being out there as a blocker. How much do you believe – that the Giants and the Raiders both need those guys, Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs, maybe a little bit more than a team like the Kansas City Chiefs needs a big-time running back? You know, I guess it depends on on the long-term goals or, or the goals of the season. And, like, you know, if you're the Raiders, you, you know, you had the Russian champion a year ago, you know, 1,600, 1600 yards, but where did that get you? Pretty much nowhere. So if you're a team that's trying to rebuild and you're maybe having one eye ahead on Caleb Williams, I keep saying that, and you might not be – you know, that good this year, why would you, you know, tie up a lot of your salary cap on, on Josh Jacobs, a, a guy that, you know, this regime didn't even draft. You know, they inherited Josh Jacobs. And as you know, Q, a lot of people were uh, were wondering why was Josh Jacobs in the Hall of Fame game in the preseason a year ago? Right. And things changed very quickly. But I think you got to ask yourself, you know, what what are the realistic goals here? And, and, and every team is different. Like with the Chiefs, like, you don't need a, a highly paid running back because Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and the coach and the Reed are going to give you a chance regardless of who's playing out there as long as you have a very good supporting cast. So it's, it's different. Like with the Giants, too, is like if you have Saquon Barkley with Daniel Jones, like they still feel like a wild card team. And if you pay the guy, like do you want to you know give up a bunch of money to be a wild card team? 
like the 49ers, a different scenario. They went all in on Christian McCaffrey because right. they were very close to be a Super Bowl team. You know, they got close last year. They failed in the in the NFC title game. So I think it's a, it's very individual, you know, you know, circumstances and, 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 you know, who's all in and who's not. So, you know, I know we were all kind of pinpointing, like, you know, Davin Cook needed to take a, a pay cut or, 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 or Joe Mixon, that is, or Aaron yeah. Jones. And these deals don't work out. But it worked out for Nick Chubb and, and Derrick Henry, like, you know, like, Derrick Henry is a big focal point of that Titans offense. They didn't go far, but they still got a bargain in $12 million per year. Like, you will pay for Derrick Henry every single time to get that production. So, it's just it's a very tough way to kind of view it, and you feel for the running backs. But I don't know there's one way or one answer to kind of figure this out. But uh, the way I keep going back to is, like, you know, they're making noise now. All these running backs are talking together on Twitter, but mm-hmm. you need to do more than that. Like, does it take missing games from Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley? You know, we saw Le'Veon Bell try that. That did not work out. You know, we saw Melvin Gordon with, with the Chargers. That did not work out. So, you know, and again, everybody's different when it comes to their money. So you need something collective, something, you know, that that a group thinking could do to make real change. But right now it's all kind of like talking points, and we're all trying to figure out, you know, how can you make this better? I'm glad you brought up the 49ers. That was a, a team that I brought up earlier in the show as well, and I said that Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, the strong run game that they have in San Francisco allowed a guy like Brock Purdy to kind of ease into that role and be successful and not press a little bit more and try to do too much because he knew he had the, the strong run game that he could lean on. And I look at Jimmy G now with the 49ers, and I look at Josh Jacobs and say that could be the same scenario for Jimmy G if you have that one-two punch with Jimmy G and Josh Jacobs. But if Josh Jacobs isn't there, and he probably will be there by week one. But if not, I feel like that's a big hole on that Raiders offense. Yeah, if your intentions are to, you know, have the best team and, and win in 2023, Josh Jacobs makes you the better team, you know, with the Raiders. Like, if you don't have Josh Jacobs, you're going to be a pretty terrible team. And we might, we might be talking like, a, you know, a Cardinals scenario there of the tanking <laughs> mode. But again, if you do have a healthy Josh Jacobs and he's, and he's just as productive as a year ago, how far does that get you? Like, you know, like, you know, the Raiders and the 49ers are different scenarios. Yeah, the quarterback yeah. might be the same, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's just different, you know, coaching pieces and things like that. So, you know, and also, too, if you're Josh McDaniels, the way you think about, it, like, you know, you already kind of allowed, you had a one-year loss, like a feel-out year. It didn't work out. Derek Carr, you brought in Devontae Adams, and it just didn't work out. Can you afford another kind of feel-out bad year? And if you're trying to win right now, you got to get Josh Jacobs in. And, and seeing that report that he was hanging out in the parking lot makes me feel like they wanted to. You yeah. know, he, he really impressed a lot of people. You know, I think, you know, he's a good leader in the locker room and he's very productive. But again, I, I go back to like, how far can he really get you? And, and, and you see all these stats about like, you know, all the Super Bowl champions of the last 10 years, none of them had like a highly paid running back too. So, you know, like you mentioned, it is different scenarios. Like Jimmy G is not Patrick Mahomes. So you need to have right. some good good weapons for Jimmy G to help you out. So, you know, it, it does give you a fighting chance, but you got to really think about it realistically. Like, like, how, like how far does it really get you? And that's where, where I really kind of things get a little murky. Yeah, and I think that's where the money gets hung up, right, is because that question is out there, and I think it's hard to achieve the, the answer that running backs want. How, how strong and how far does that strong run game get you when it comes to the playoffs and making a deep run in the playoffs? Again, Gilbert Manzano, Monday Morning Quarterback, SI.com, is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness that you've been putting out some really good pieces. i got to give you a lot of credit, stuff that I've been paying attention to, and I'm like, whoa, i got to ask him about this. And so uh, one of your most recent pieces about Super Bowl windows and the top 11 teams that see their Super Bowl window closing two of the teams in your top 11 
came from the AFC West, and they were not the Chiefs, and they were not the Raiders. So at 11 was the Broncos, and at number five was the Chargers. Tell me about number 11 in this Super Bowl window when it comes to Russell Wilson and the, and the Broncos. Yeah, a lot of people were interested about that story because I had the Broncos in there, and they definitely aren't a Super Bowl contender. But I guess the way I was trying to worry, like, you know, you, it's a window. you got to create the window. And the mm-hmm. second that the Broncos paid Russell Wilson, they thought in their minds they built a good window. Maybe it was a really terrible, terribly built window they couldn't <laughs> crack through. And then they spent money on Sean Payton. Like, they're operating like a Super Bowl contender. So I kind of give them credit for building the window. But, again, mm-hmm. it was poorly made. And I don't know if Sean Payton is going to fix that mess of what happened a year ago. So I think that's why I had him in there. And then with the Chiefs, I, I didn't bother because the window's always open. You know, you know, Joe right. Burrow said it a year ago. You know, when you have me around, it's going to be open, uh, t- you know, 24-7. That's the way I felt about Mahomes. And there's only two quarterbacks I felt strongly about that, saying that it's Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes. Mayor Burrow needs, has a little more to prove, but I think he's, he's already in that elite level of being a winner and then playing at a high level. Like, there's other guys that are kind of in the cusp there, like maybe, you know, Josh Allen. You know, he goes to the playoffs, but he hasn't won enough, no Super Bowl appearances. Like, I really like Herbert from a talent standpoint, but not, not no playoff success. So things like that, I was trying to tie it into and, and who's spending money and, and who has kind of a, you know, a veteran core group that needs to strike now. Like, the 49ers, I've had a window for, for I feel like, for a, lot, for a long time. you got to get through it and eventually win because, you know, we saw it with the 49ers with the Harbaugh era. Like, you, you thought you were going to be good for three or four years, and then it just goes away. So I know for the NFL, these windows are very quick and disappear. And, and then when it comes to the Raiders there in Vegas, I feel like they're still trying to build that. I think I was trying to categorize it in different phases. Like, you got the ones that are rebuilding, you know, the ones that are trying to start out. And I feel like with McDaniels, you know, they're just still in that start-out level there. And, and again, that's the beauty about the NFL, you never know who's going to surprise. A year ago, right. nobody was talking about the, Jag- the Jaguars, and they go and they beat the Chargers. They, they, they take the Chiefs to the limit in the division around. So uh, maybe my, my story was kind of a uh, – I had way too many teams. The 11 teams sounds like a lot. <laughs> But I was just trying to make a case for a lot of these teams in terms of different scenarios I just laid out. Well, I'll tell you, 14 make the playoffs, so that's okay. 11 is fine. And, you know, it's funny, a year <laughs> ago, Gilbert, before the season got started, I was talking about the Raiders, and they had a three-year window to get it done because they had just re-signed Derek Carr. His contract kind of was one of those that I felt like was basically a three-year contract. They had just traded for Devontae Adams. I feel like that that was a three-year contract. Darren Waller looked like he had about a three-year window. Hunter Renfro, same thing. So, you know what I mean? Like, everything aligned for me in my mind. I thought, okay, they've got a three-year window to get it done well now you know a year later we know what happened but i mean these windows like you say they open up they make sense and then they close quick fast in a hurry and real quick going back to denver at number 11 what do you think happens with sean payton how do you think he turns this thing around in denver and and is russell wilson the guy to open that window back up for denver they're gonna have to get another guy yeah that's the kind of fascinating scenario for me with denver because like it, it kind of feels like a force partnership like i think sean Payne wanted to come back but not for the broncos okay like he was waiting to see what happened with, with the chargers mm-hmm. waiting to see what happens with the cowboys and it's like oh, okay my team's in an open uh you know the, the broncos have a lot of money you know you, you never know maybe deal with russell wilson for a year like it felt like let's deal with this for a year and it doesn't work out you know let, let's do it my way let's kind of have that full tear down uh, get all these guys from the previous regime out of here, and let's do it my way. So it just feels like a force here because also, too, there was no option for a breakup for the Broncos because they paid Russell Wilson uh, five years, $245 million before <laughs> he played his first game. So that's kind of, that was a risky move, and it backfired. And, and, and even with a different scenario, like the Rams and Matthew Stafford, I just saw that report a while ago that 
you know, they paid the guy after he won the Super Bowl, but why are you paying the guy after you completed the goal and now you're kind of having buyer's remorse there? So, you know, these contracts make it kind of, you know, a sticky situation there, especially in Denver. And, and also, too, if you're trying to get rid of the guy, Russell Wilson, after the second year, you've got to get some kind of trade market for the guy. And if he's not doing well, like, they won't, they won't be any suitors. So, at least if you're Sean Payne, you're thinking, okay, worst case, make this guy a, a quality quarterback that somebody else wants to take on the rest of this contract and we move on and start fresh. So, you got to do that at least and build up a good offense. And you saw, you heard the rumors about him trying to trade Jerry, Jerry Judy and other wide receivers. So you could tell he wants to have his things in his own way. And then in terms of philosophy, like with Drew Brees, it's all about getting that ball out quickly, mm-hmm. uh, the guys in space and operate and just protect the football. That's not Wilson. He likes to hold on to the ball, uh, make some magic, and throw it downfield. So we'll see how they do in terms of that too. Gilbert Manzano is our guest from Monday Morning Quarterback, SI.com, here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. Going back to the Chargers real quick, what do they have to do this year for Brandon Staley to hold on to his job? Yeah, they they got to win a playoff game. And what happened last year was was, was, was just a terrible ending to that season. And even before, the week before that, where they played Mike Williams and the starters, and you know all the neg- negativity started building up for Brandon Staley. The first year was like, so many fourth down decisions got too risky, which I, I enjoyed. I didn't mind it. And then last year, uh, with the injury to Mike Williams and blowing a 27 point lead, now, now that, those are real reasons to kind of feel bad about your coach. And you know, there's a lot of pressure on Brandon Staley. And you know, we'll, we'll see if he gets an extra year because I, I think uh, the, the Chargers tend to kind of do these four year deals and see what happens. But he's buried on his third year. But, you know, is it, time is not a strike in L.A. I know we always talk about it because L.A. is such a you know strange market because if you're not winning or you're not flashy, no one's going to care. And right now the Rams are not flashy and they're not exciting. They're, they're struggling. So it could be a, a little opening for the Chargers. And if Justin Herbert is doing well, you know, you know, with the new O.C. and Kellen Moore, the rookie wide receiver and Quentin Johnson, uh, and we heard Austin Eckler before I jumped on, maybe he, does, he has another 20, uh, 20 touchdown season, which is going to be hard to do. They, they got to make some noise and make it happen. But I, I just feel like they're still kind of like that. You know, they're, they're good, but they're not like an elite team. And then every time I'm listing the teams in the AFC queue, it's like it doesn't end. The Jets, the Bills, the Dolphins, uh, the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Jaguars. And it's like seven or eight teams. And you're the charge. You're thinking like, okay, uh, we didn't really make a lot of changes. And we're still a good team. But that might not be good enough when it comes to the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they might not get out of the AFC West. I mean, right? I mean, the the Chiefs and, yeah. and, and the Raiders and the Broncos, I mean, they all beat up on each other anyway, regardless of what the overall record is. I mean, you just know how that goes. So, yeah, the AFC, man, that is a really tough conference. And, Gilbert, before we uh, close this out, I did want to ask you, uh, right there, Monday Morning Quarterback, SI.com, you guys are putting out to a different bunch of takes. And, and your, your, your bad take, your, your bad take <laughs> yeah. was that uh, NFL head coaches should not – call the plays that should be up to the offensive coordinator I like it I don't think it's a bad take I think it was fascinating because I think that these uh, head coaches should be the CEO of the team and really be able to put their thumbprint on the whole thing instead of focusing in on calling the plays but what are your thoughts on that yeah you know I guess the goal is kind of have a, a kind of a good bad take where people you know you know agree but then you get that group that's you know like you're, you're crazy or <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about you don't know football so I don't know if I if my if I got people riled up but you know, the, the main thing for me was kind of like just to, you know, create opportunities because, you like, I listed all the, the head coaches who call offensive plays. And, like, I'm like, if the best way to get a head coaching job, you know, if you're a minority candidate and you're trying to get on the offensive side, like, you got to call plays. And yep. all these coaches are hogging it. Like, I, I get that if you're around Sean McVay and you're, you're around Kyle Shanahan, you'll get opportunities just, or looks because you're all around those guys. But, like, 
if you're out there, you know, when the, the games count and you're calling these amazing plays, like like a Ben Johnson, like he's getting he's getting a lot of hype there mm-hmm. uh, in Detroit. Like that really matters. And you know, I, I think I was trying to take a little, uh, uh, I was trying to get a little too wild there by saying, hey, you know what? If you're the head coach, just kind of rotate four guys throughout the season and just just see who does well. We need opportunity for these guys to kind of create it because the NFL is not creating opportunities for 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 diversity there. So, uh, you know, I, I was just trying to think outside the box and and, and to, to kind of keep it simple. Like, yeah, like you mentioned, these guys are CEOs. They have so much going on. And I go back to Nick Sirianni, where like like he was this kind of you know genius offensive mind going to the Eagles. And, and people were saying this guy was terrible in the introductory press conference. He went to his meeting in, in, in pants or shorts or whatever it was because all they mattered was about his offensive X's and O's. And turns out he gave it up to uh, Shane Steichen. Yep. And it turned out to be better for both sides or all sides around because he got to focus on the on the defense, the special teams. Shane Steichen got to focus on Jalen Hurts and develop a good offense. And look at Shane Steichen now being the head coach with the Colts. So, uh, and Sirianni went to the to the Super Bowl. So yep. I think when you have less on your plate, that helps out all around. Uh, and but you know how it is, Q. These guys are control freaks, and they won't <laughs> give it up unless it's mandatory. So that was my bad take. Make it mandatory where the coaches, head coaches, don't call plays uh, in regular season games. I like it. I really do. You know, and Josh McDaniels, he calls the plays with the Raiders. Before him, Gruden called the plays with the Raiders. I'd be okay if the offensive coordinator did that. I'd be fine with that. They can get all the input they want from the head coach, right? But at the end of the day, they're the OC for the reason. You know, they, they got to go out there and call the plays. I would have no problem. Not that I'm questioning these guys, but, again, I would have no problem if the OC had to do that. I thought that was really good. So that was a good bad take that you had. So <laughs> sal- salute to you for that. What else are you working on, man? You've been putting out some great work. Yeah, well, first of all, Q, let me add to like, isn't it like the worst thing in a press conference where like there's like a big play on offense and defense, and you're talking to the coordinator, and the guy's like, I didn't even call the play, man. Like, what are we <laughs> doing here trying to ask me these questions? Like, right. One of the things I, I hate as a reporter, but yeah, there's a lot going on, you know, with the MMQV. You know, I've been doing kind of one question to answer in, in training camp. The AFC West actually comes out, I want to say, Thursday. Nice. So, you know, for, for me, it's like, you know, is Jimmy Garoppolo going to be ready? Is he going to be healthy? Because this guy hasn't even had a, a real workout with the Raiders. So that's going to be all eyes on Jimmy G, see how he does. So, uh, yeah, one question for the entire AFC. And, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 you know, I got back from uh, from Lake Tahoe following some of these golf uh, football players turned golfers for a week. So that was pretty cool. So, But I'm ready for some uh, some real games. There you go. Well, I'll tell you what, the Raiders open up camp in eight days, and then it's full throttle. You know how it is. Once camp opens up, kiss all your loved ones goodbye. You'll see them uh, <laughs> after the Super Bowl, after the draft, after all that stuff, and uh, then you'll get some rest and relaxation. So, Gilbert, thanks so much, man. It's always great catching up with you. I appreciate you, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good, Q. Thank you for the time, man. I appreciate you. Yes, sir. There he goes. Gilbert Manzano, Monday Morning Quarterback, SI.com at GManzano24. Uh, good friend of the show. Definitely appreciate him. Yeah, he's been putting out some really good work, and uh, when people put out good work like that, I like to highlight it and talk about it. So Gilbert Manzano, Monday Morning Quarterback, SI.com, joining us right there. We got plenty of feedback on the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword r Don't forget Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. He'll join us coming up in about, eh, about 10, 15 minutes from now uh, to talk all things, well, what Pro Football Focus talks. We'll talk running backs. We'll talk numbers. We'll dump in, jump into the analytical side of things. That's coming up at 3.30. But I did want to go ahead and hit the don'tbebroke.com text line real quick. Again, 69187, keyword r A couple questions that I threw out there. How much do you believe – Jimmy Garoppolo needs Josh Jacobs to be in that backfield in 2023. And what would you like to see from Zamir White? He's going to get the burn while Josh Jacobs does not have a contract. He has not signed his deal, so he's not holding out. He just hasn't signed the deal. So Zamir White's going to be RB1. What would you like to see from Zamir in the meantime, in between time? 
This text comes from the 253. Josh deserves to be paid because of last year's performance. But Jimmy doesn't need him in this system. I need him on Madden. <laughs> I want to see Zamir White in the passing game or screen game more because he is fast in open space. So, hey, you know what? I can respect the honesty, right? I can respect the honesty. Hey, Jimmy G don't need Josh, but I need Josh and Madden. And I'll tell you this. I've been seeing a lot of Madden numbers rolling out, and I'll, I'll hit a few of them in cover three at some point. I'm not, I haven't played Madden since Richard Sherman was on the cover. I really haven't. That was the last time. And I used to faithfully, Ari, I bought Madden every year. Like, that was what I had to go get. Every year when it dropped, I had to get it because I knew that meant the football season was right around the corner. Once Madden drops and you go get it, I would go and play the whole season with the Raiders and see what the, see what the record ended up being, and I wasn't even that good. But I played it, and I was like, all right, this is what the record's going to be. This is what this team's going to look like. It got me in that mindset to get ready for football. But I have not got a, another Madden game since Richard Sherman was on the cover, and that's been many, many, many moons, brother. <laughs> Do we know what year is this is we're talking? Um, off top? I was living in Monterey at the time, so I want to say it was maybe 2009. I'm not too sure. Um, Richard Sherman Madden cover, I'll tell you right now. 15. Um, no way. It wasn't 15, no, was 2000, it? Like, oh, uh, no, I wasn't living in. No, you know what? I wasn't. You're right. You're right. My bad. In two, I can't remember who was on the cover of 2009. Oh, it is 2015. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, yeah. 15. I was No, that's right. I was in Central Texas when that. I remember I went and bought the game at HEB. That's right. That, I can't remember. Who was on it when I was in Monterey then? 2009. Oh, now you got me curious. Oh, Wayback machine. I got to just Google. What, uh, so what made you, I mean, have you at least played it, or you just, no. you just don't traditionally? I just don't play it anymore. Oh, wow. Brett Favre was on the cover in 2009. Boom. That's weird. I don't know why I bought that one. Huh. Oh, you know what? John Madden was on the cover, too? Maybe? I don't know. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> I had it. I know I played it in Monterey, and I used to get it every single year, and Richard Sherman was the last one, so I guess 2015. There you go. Uh, hey, man, look. I'm getting old, I guess. I don't remember the years anymore. So there's that. But uh, thanks for that text. One more quick one from the 530. Jacobs has been the perfect player on and off the field, aside from the auto accident. The NFL isn't like the NBA's player empowerment system. The franchise tag gets teams the ultimate power. And you're right about that. The, the franchise tag, it, it basically lets the team know that they are in 100% control. Now, you could choose not to sign it, but you could also choose not to have a contract and choose not to get paid. Right. I mean, that's that's the that's the thing. And, and I get it. The franchise tag was put in for a convenience, but the way that it's used and the way it's executed to to its actual the way it's supposed to be. It just it doesn't do guys any favors. And someone suggested the other day on the don't be broke dot com text line. If you don't get your fifth year option picked up, then maybe a team shouldn't be able to use the franchise tag on you. I was OK with that. I thought that that was actually a pretty good statement because, I mean, it, it is. It's one of those things. And look. If the Raiders had picked up his fifth-year option, it would, only, it would have been $8 million that they would have paid him this year. Now they're paying him $10 million this year once he finally signs it, and there's so much questions up in the air. If they had just picked up the fifth-year option, but they didn't know he was going to have a 1,600-plus season last year and end up being the identity of the team. I mean, I don't think anybody anticipated that. Hell, I didn't think that Josh Jacobs was going to run for 1,600-plus yards. That's a whole hell of a lot of yards, especially after they drafted Zamir White and Britton Brown. Right? I was just like, okay, well, he'll go out there and put up 1,000 yards and you know, he may be around a year, another year or two, but that's about it. And he went out there and balled out, played all 17 games, and, and was the identity of the team. I, I, didn't, I didn't have any idea. So, you know, it's, 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 it's one of those, it's like a gift and a curse, having that, 
that uh, that franchise tag available is great for teams. It's not great for players. No player likes being on the franchise tag unless your name is Kirk Cousins and you take full advantage of it. I think quarterbacks is a little bit easier. One more text and we'll take a break. This was from Sir Whiskey Ray. Good afternoon and happy Tuesday. Adam Hill spot on with the Jacob situation. I respect his takes and inside insight. Like I said yesterday, I'm not even mad at either Jacobs or the front office by this holdout. Uh, from a selfish standpoint, I want Jacobs in camp, but I get it. History shows that when a player holds out, an injury happens. I hope I'm wrong, and Jacobs in the front office can get a deal done. Thanks as always, Q. Have a great show. And yeah, I would love to see them get a um, get a, a deal done as well, but they can't get a deal done now until the season's over, right? And, and once the season gets wrapped up, then they can get a deal done. Uh, I think that it was encouraging that he was in the parking lot. So clearly he believed that there was a chance of, of a deal getting done. He could have been like, oh, I know this ain't happening. I ain't going to be nowhere near there. But the fact that him and Max Crosby were sitting in the parking lot waiting to get that call and say, come up and sign that deal, I think that that was encouraging. Obviously it didn't happen. Uh, you know, as far as uh, it being a holdout, it's not technically a holdout because he didn't have a contract. So he, as Adam Hill mentioned, doesn't have a team. He just doesn't have a team. Now we all know what team – He'll end up playing for once he signs the deal, I believe, will be the Raiders. But until he actually signs it, he's not under contract. So technically not a holdout. Reason why he can't get fined for missing training camp because he doesn't have a contract signed. 325 is the time. Uh, we'll come back, talk to Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. The rules of the NFL, the rules of football, have promoted a pass-first offense. Not only can you not hit quarterbacks like they used to be able to hit quarterbacks in the pocket, but you can't put hands on receivers down the field as much, and then you can't hit those receivers not nearly as aggressively as you used to be able to. So naturally, offenses go, it's easier to throw the football now. We'll do it more because that's what scores points. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. ESPN's Dan Orlovsky right there talking about the passing league that is the NFL, the rules that have been changed to make it a little bit easier, a little bit more pleasing on the eyes when it comes to the quarterback position and wide receivers as well. Join us now on the phone lines from Pro Football Focus is our good friend Brad Spielberger. You can find him on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. And, Brad, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Wanted to have you on to talk about the running back position, but I want to talk about it from a different side of things. At Pro Football Focus, you guys deep dive into the numbers. You guys got all the analytical side of things locked down. Tell us about the running back position and why you may not need a big-time running back to, to achieve the ultimate goal, which is winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, I think it's a two-pronged thing here. So the first thing is you just look at the production at the position. They peak at 26, 27 years old, maybe even younger, 24, 25. So unfortunately, the most valuable years of their career are when they're leading college programs, and thankfully they'll make money for that now, and then their rookie contracts. And so that's the first big part. The second is... We're not. No one's really suggesting that like great running backs don't make a difference or they're not valuable. It's simply that you can get eighty percent of a great running back for a cheap deal, for a, a day three pick, for a you know mid tier free agent. Whereas you can't really find you know eighty percent of a quarterback, eighty percent of a good edge rusher, etc. Um, you know they're just either not going to hit free agencies, hit the trade for them, um, or you can't draft them late. You can only find them early on in the draft. So it's just the replaceability. Again, not saying. You know, any draft pick is Josh Jacobs. He, he is right. an elite player, but you can get 
80% of Josh Jacobs, maybe 70% of Josh Jacobs, you know, for 10% of the cost. What would you say, because Josh Jacobs in Alabama did not get a ton of burn, he wasn't the, the bell cow back, he was part of a rotation, he's only 25, he just turned 25 in February, uh, does he have a few maybe extra years that your average running back coming out of college and through his first contract would have left? It's a great point. He really was not the focal point and, and had a lot of pass-catching duties and, and it was not really, you know, plowing into the A-gap and taking a bunch of hits all game long. So you'd certainly think so. I mean, his situation was crazy where he's 25 years old now. He's also going to finish the season still 25 years old. He's coming off a rushing title. He's missed, what, like four, five, six games in his entire career thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he led us in rushing grade last year. He, he led us in PFF wins above replacement because he had 53 catches. He was a solid pass protector as well. Like, you can't really do much more than he did over his rookie deal, obviously capping it off with his fourth season, um, and he still was not able to get get a deal. So it's just a very, very bleak situation. But, yeah, maybe he does have a couple more years than him than the average player uh, because of the, the lack of college touches. He, he was second in total touches last year behind Derrick Henry, though. You mentioned Elite earlier talking about Josh Jacobs, and, you know, I've been laughing a lot because everyone's been talking about Saquon Barkley and how he's the upper echelon running back. But, Brad, I would argue and say, and I'm sure you looking at the numbers would say the same thing, Josh Jacobs has been just as good as Saquon Barkley, if not better, playing the same amount of games in one less year than Saquon. I think he's right up there at the upper echelon of running backs in the league. What are your thoughts? I agree. I agree. So, yeah, you're younger, healthier, hasn't had, you know, really significant injuries. And yeah, you know, not only our highest graded rusher this year, but you look over the last three years or over the last four years, right behind Nick Chubb in second, you know, he's kind of kind of killing it right now as a, as a pure rusher. But then you fold in back-to-back seasons with 50-plus catches. So, you know, that's always kind of mentioned as Barkley's value. And maybe Jacobs can't quite run the routes, but, you know, I don't think he's that far behind. Yeah, I, I think he does belong in that conversation. I think it's because of the fact Barkley went second overall, went to a big market in New York, Maybe he gets inflated a little bit more, and maybe early on in his career he was better. But, yeah, right now I think Josh Jacobs is just as good as about anybody. Again, we're talking with Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. And so uh, a lot of people have been showing me this this chart where it's the Super Bowl-winning leading rusher since 2009 and their base salary, and nobody is a big high-profile running back on there. But they also had really top-level, for the most part, quarterbacks like a Mahomes, like a Brady, like a Rodgers, a Peyton Manning, right? So those are the upper echelon quarterbacks. Jimmy G is not that. So how much do you think that Jimmy G, for what he's going to bring to the Raiders, needs Josh Jacobs in the backfield as opposed to just a Samir White, who's a big unknown still? Yeah, it's huge, right? Because you also, you're going to need to establish the run to then set up play action and, and, and have these certain plays where you can then have wrinkles off of them and if the defense doesn't respect your runner, they're probably not going to bite quite as much, and linebackers aren't going to shoot through gaps as early. Maybe they'll be more patient and kind of sit back and let a play develop. If it's Josh Jacobs, they're probably like, no, I better get up there because if I don't, I'm going to miss a tackle, and he's going to take it 80 yards to the house. So it does matter a great deal because Garoppolo, and I'm not using this in a negative connotation, but like he's a great game manager. But mm-hmm. having that run game and having the defense respect that is what then enables him to throw over the middle very well, better than a lot of quarterbacks, and and you know hit get to the top of his drop, find the open receiver, deliver the football on time and on schedule. Like all those things do filter down from a good run game, which of course the, the blocking matters a lot as well. But it's not like it's San Francisco and you have a stable of good players. 
you know, it's kind of relative unknowns right now beyond Josh Jacobs. You know, and I brought up San Francisco earlier in the show and was saying that, you know, that run game and obviously a strong defense of the 49ers allowed a guy like Brock Purdy to just kind of get comfortable and slide into that role as a starting quarterback where he didn't have to press too much. And I think that that run game had a lot to do with it. How much did that help Brock Purdy get comfortable in his role last year with San Francisco? Yeah, the defense is a good shout as well, right, where you mm-hmm. don't feel pressure to score every drive, and you know, hey, you know what, we can have a couple long drives, we can maybe take a field goal instead of scoring a touchdown, and, you know, Nick Bosa and company are going to go out there and maybe get a turnover, you know, get, get a stop, whatever. So I think that, that helps a ton, because I think a lot of these mistakes come early is these guys that are pressing, and they're trying to make a play, they're trying to hit a home run every time, or they're thinking in the back of their mind, you know, i got to score 30 points today because if I don't, we're not going to win this game. And obviously in San Francisco, that is not the case. And then where the run game comes in is, even beyond everything I just talked about, when you have an early lead and you can just lean on that, and then all Purdy has to do is just not make mistakes, you know, again, take what the defense gives you, you know, check it down, whatever, keep the chains moving. You can't do that if you're trailing, right? You can only do that if you have, if you have a lead and a good defense. Um, and he certainly had both of those things in San Fran a lot. Brad, I wanted to ask you about just contracts and, and kind of expectations. You know, the running back position is the only one since 2015 where the franchise tag value has actually gone down. How do the running backs get that value back up? How do they, how do they generate more revenue for themselves? So the, the most fascinating situation this offseason is going to be Jonathan Taylor. I think you and I spoke about it. You know, I mm-hmm. think even more so than these franchise tag guys, you have a team – where he's going into his last year, he does not have the fifth-year option for the team's disposal. Obviously, they could franchise tag him, but you know, recently extended a running back in Nike Hines. They obviously have a new, you know, rookie rookie quarterback in the fold. All these things, but the answer is I don't know. I, I really do not know. It's going to take a change to the CBA where you have new rules in place. I think before we get a you know Christian McCaffrey level deal again. What about the fact that Derrick Henry was responsible for 36% of the Titans' uh, offensive production last year? Josh Jacobs, 33%. That was one and two in the NFL, and they're so low, like, like paid. You know, they're, they're not paid what they basically their output was for their teams, respectively. How much can they, can they, you know, like take that to the team and say, hey, this is what I've been responsible for. I need somehow to get paid for this. Yeah, Barkley was the same thing. I think it was 35% as well. So, yeah, I mean, they, I guess, have to all band together. And, and is it, you know, not strike, but do you mm-hmm. kind of just say, hey, look, we are being mistreated by this, this league now. We're touching the ball so often. We're getting hit more than maybe anybody else outside of the trenches. And we cannot get a respectable contract. You know, our market is actively shrinking, whereas everybody else is skyrocketing. I mean, we'll see. I do think there is power in if you can galvanize the locker room, if you can get quarterbacks to speak on their behalf and, and get other players involved in the conversation as well, maybe it'll help. But, I mean, yesterday we saw just a lot of tweets and, and frustrated players, Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, etc. You know, that, that, that's great, and it's good to see those guys on the same page and in lockstep. But it's going to take a lot because, you know, NFL teams aren't really in the business of being sympathetic and giving out money for feel-good stories. That's just not really what they're, they're trying to do. No, they're not. Their feel-good stories don't matter. They, they look great before game days when they have a little special on TV, but that's really, <laughs> at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. So, Brad, the, the, the game checks matter, right? Week one is what matters. Do you expect the franchise guys, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, do you expect that to be the moment when they show up when the game checks are, are real? 
I, I do, and I think they'll both be there. Um, there is going to be this narrative of, and again, I respect them trying to build leverage for themselves. I'm sure they're both going to, whether directly or via the media, put out there, hey, I might not show up until week one, or I might even miss multiple games. I would be floored if either of them misses a snap. It just it doesn't give you any leverage, and you lose a game check, which would be about half a million dollars for them, um, maybe actually a little bit more. So I, I just don't see it. You know, if you're thinking from like a fantasy football angle, if those guys are falling in drafts, I would take them all day long because I think <laughs> they will be there. Um, yeah, but I think they'll miss. Look, they'll miss all of training camp. They'll miss all of preseason. They'll show up super fresh and healthy and, and you know motivated to get paid by somebody else uh, after the season, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, I, I think neither guy will miss an actual NFL game. Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920. We'll close out with this. Your colleague, Trevor Sikama, put out a piece on Max Crosby. We're actually going to have him on the show tomorrow to talk about Max. But just from, you know, what you've been watching, what you've been writing, what you've been seeing from Max going from a fourth-round pick to where he is right now as really a household name across the NFL, how much have you seen Max growing, and what do you think his ceiling is? I mean, his ceiling is probably the best defensive player in the NFL. I think it's, you know, you can legitimately make that case. For us, the last two years, he not only leads the league in pressures, he also leads the league in defensive stops at his position. So, you know, that's run stops for, for zero gain or negative yardage. I mean, he's everywhere. He does not come off the field either, and I think that gets underappreciated sometimes. But he is a true three-down defensive end that plays 900-plus snaps in a season. Um, you know, there are some great players that play 650, 700, and they make a great contribution, but he does not come off the field. And I think you're seeing him, you know, add more nuance to his game. In the beginning, he was using his work ethic. He was using his athleticism. Now you're seeing, you know, moves off those moves, right? I think there was last year where he had a, he had a fake spin outside and spun back inside, like starting to, you know, put in wrinkles, you know, some Dwight Freeney and other guys that you start to see that in his game, in his bag, so to speak. Um, and I think the sky is the absolute limit for that guy. How much do you think the addition of Tyree Wilson will help Max Crosby out as well? It should help. I, I think the cool thing with him is you really can rush him from the outside or the inside. I think he fits better as an, as an outside guy, but he had some legit pass rush you know, reps last year from a three-tech stand, five-tech, four-eye, whatever. So I think he just adds more layers and dimensions. You can stunt with those guys and, and really just confuse offensive lines. And, and, and the, the biggest impact on Max will probably be, you know, teams are going to be chipping him and doubling him all game long. And now you can punish them for doing that, whereas in years past, I don't think you could. They could get away with it. Now, let's say he gets doubled a ton early on, but then Tyree and Chandler Jones are kind of teeing off and getting a lot of pressures and sacks. Teams will stop doing that, and Max is going to win one-on-ones you know, all day long. I look forward to it. He is a fun player to watch. He's a fun player to cover, and obviously he's grown tremendously in the NFL being a fourth-round pick uh, when the Raiders grabbed him in 2019. Well, Brad, fantastic stuff. What are you working on that we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, I'm just getting ready for training camps, all those <laughs> top training camp storylines and just getting ready for the season. We're almost there. Yeah, we are eight days away from the Raiders' uh, first day of practice uh, at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. So, yeah, it's going to be go time sooner rather than later. Thanks so much for your time, my man. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. There he goes. Brad Spielberger for Pro Football Focus on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. And I uh, love the little nuggets that he mentioned about Max Crosby. And, again, we'll have Trevor Sikama, who put out a really good piece on Max Crosby on Pro Football Focus. It came out today, and I was trying to get him on the show, but he just wasn't available. But he's going to join us at 2.30 tomorrow. Raiders' Max Crosby is running 
and winning his own marathon to be the NFL's best. This came out again on Pro Football Focus earlier today from Trevor Sycamore. He'll join us on the show tomorrow coming up at 2.30, so I look forward to that. What I look forward to right now is calling number 9, 702-365-9200. It's a Lotus Summer of Fun, trying to get you qualified for four tickets to an Aviators game, and that'll get you one step closer to the ultimate prize, which is what you want, the seven-day Alaska cruise for two or you could take the cash, $3,000 cash. We take the trip or take the cash. It's all up to you, but the first step is to win four tickets to an Aviators game. We can get you registered to do that right now if you're calling number 9, 702-365-9200. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. We've seen way more quarterbacks come into the NFL be utilized as runners. Mm. Those carries are getting taken away from backs. Quarterback more than ever. It's always been the most important position. Not more so than it is now because there's so many good ones. And I think organizations look at it and say, well, we're going to pay the quarterback. And then we're going to pay people to get the football too on the perimeter before they ever think about giving that money to a running back. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Again, ESPN's Dan Orlovsky talking about the quarterback position. And reality of it is they pay everyone that has to do with the quarterback position or the quarterback, right? They pay the quarterback to throw the rock, run the rock, score touchdowns, lead the team. They pay the offensive line to block for the quarterback. They pay the wide receiver to catch the passes from the quarterback. They pay DN's money and D tackles money to get to the quarterback. And they pay cornerbacks money to pick off the quarterback. Right? If you any way can affect the quarterback or you are the quarterback, you can get paid. But if you stand behind the quarterback <laughs> and you just take the rock and run and block for him as well, eh, you're just kind of like anybody could do it, right? Something sounds broken to me when it comes to that, but that's the reality of it. Shout out to Jason who was calling number nine, is in to win the four tickets to the Aviators game. More importantly, one step closer to that seven-day Alaska cruise for two, or you could take the $3,000 cash. But first, you got to win the four tickets to the Aviators game, but he's one step closer. So shout-out to Jason. we got more winning on the way. Matter of fact, coming up in the third hour of the show, we'll be hooking that up as well. got some text on the don'tbebroke.com text line that I want to get to at 69187, keyword R&R. Before we do that, though, Last night I was on ESPN National, Freddie and Fitzsimmons. I was holding it down with my guy Emmett Golden, and we were talking to Greg Bedard from Boston Sports Journal, and he was talking all things Patriots, talking about DeAndre Hopkins not going to the Patriots, ended up with the Tennessee Titans. But then I got to the conversation because he's been covering the NFL for a very long time, and I just asked him straight up about the running back position and the fact that it's a shame what's going on and is there anything that they can end up doing. And he gave a little nug- nice little nugget uh, to one Josh Jacobs. Check it out. Greg, before we let you go, this has been fantastic stuff. You've been covering the NFL for a long time, and, of course, the Patriots, they have traditionally never paid running backs, but now nobody in the NFL is paying running backs. We saw Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard. None of those guys got contract extensions. Is there anything turning around anytime soon when it comes to the running backs, or is this just kind of what it is? Yeah, I think this is just what it is. I mean, you know, I've sort of been there a while on this. I mean, I feel bad for the guys because, you know, they – they they do work their butts off. I mean, you know, Josh Josh Jacobs is a guy that I have um, admired watching on film over the course of his entire career. Since he was a rookie, he sort of leapt out at me. And, and, you know, he was unbelievable for the Raiders last year in so many ways. But, you know, it's just the nature of the position. Those guys, like, they, they take such a beating and they're such a, 
you know, short shelf life for those guys that like, you know, it just, it doesn't make sense to, uh, you know, from a team perspective to commit to these guys when you have, you know, plenty of running backs either on the street. I mean, look, Leonard Fournette does not have a job right now. He's a good running back. Kareem Hunt doesn't have a job. He's a good running back. You know, you have, you know, free undrafted free agents out of, you know, college who were good backs in college. Like you can, there's a history of finding players either late in the draft or an undrafted free agency that can do a good job. So it just, it, unfortunately, it's the nature of the beast. You know, there's just, you know, one running back per team that's really good. And there's too many guys out there. It's diluted the pool. Greg Bedard right there, bostonsportsjournal.com, just talking all things running backs. Again, he covers the Patriots like a glove, but long-time NFL guys. Been covering the league for a long, long time. Many moans like John McClain, and uh, always great to catch up with a guy like Greg Bedard. I don't think he's been covering the league quite as long as John McClain, but he's got the skins on the wall like John McClain does. So it's just uh, giving another perspective from another voice, another guy that's got eyes on the game of what they're seeing from the running back position. Vegas Pete hit us up on the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword R&R. Q, it's so funny when I hear people say the Raiders are broke. That's why they couldn't pay Jacobs or Carr. First off, the franchise value went up 49% since moving to the best city ever. I'm glad we have a GM with financial smarts. One of Al's weaknesses is he would make bad deals throwing money around. That's from Vegas Pete. And, look, the thing about it is, and I've heard people say that too, uh, the Raiders don't have money or the Raiders weren't smart enough to put this money aside. No, they had the money to pay him. They just had a certain limit. And I've been saying that since Dave Ziegler took over, that there's a certain – he's very disciplined with it. He's not me, right? Me with money, I would just throw it around. I'd be like, oh, well, we'll pay him, figure it out later, right? And there's a lot of GMs that will do that. Just like there's a lot of GMs that will say F those picks and just throw the picks away and go and get the player, give them a whole bunch of money like the, the Rams right now. They're trying to restructure Matt Stafford. You know what Matt Stafford's saying? No, thanks. You paid me after we won the Super Bowl. I'm going to go ahead and run me my money. I'm at the end of my career. I'm going to keep that money. There's a lot of GMs across the league that would recklessly throw money at players, and it's not okay. Uh, a perfect example is I was pounding the table for the Raiders to sign J.C. Jackson. When he was a free agent, sign him, sign him. He's DB1. DBs win games. He'll pick off 10 passes a season. He's worth the money. He'll give the defense a good shot. And guess what? He wasn't worth the salt for the Chargers. He wasn't worth the damn. He didn't do nothing with that Chargers team last year except for sit out. (laughs) Right? I mean, he was the guy that was out just about all season because of injury. So he wasn't worth the damn. So Dave Ziegler was like, I'm not going to pay him over this. I'm sure they had interest in him. And they're like, eh. We're, we're going to be disciplined with what we do. And I believe that's what they are with Josh Jacobs. I believe that's what they are with everybody. They have a certain amount of money that they're willing to spend. It's not that they don't have the money. Any, and I say this all the time, and, I, and I'll go to my grave and say this. If a team wants to sign a player, they can keep a player. There's gymnastics you could do with the, dra- or the, the, the salary cap to make it work. It's just that simple. You can make it work if you have to. Teams just choose not to for one reason or the other. Either they don't see the value in holding on to him, they see the value in trading the guy and trying to get draft capital to try to uh, rebuild the team. There's multiple reasons why teams do what they do, but when you say, oh, they're not, they can't afford to do it, that's, that's usually wrong. So to Vegas Pete's point, Dave Ziegler is just saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is the money that we're going to allocate. And I'm not saying it's right that Josh Jacobs didn't get the contract extension. I'm also not saying it's wrong that Josh Jacobs wants the money that he wants. And I don't know what that is. And I won't go out and say, oh, well, this is how much you want. No, I'm not going to say that because I don't know. I'd be lying to you if I told you that I knew exactly what the contract extension looked like or any of that. 
We just know that he has not signed his franchise tag. He's not going to get a, a, a long-term deal done until at least after the season, if then. Once the season gets wrapped up, then, well, we'll see. But right now, the Raiders are focused on eight days from now, being at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, being ready for the start of training camp. That's coming up in eight days. Coming up in about eh, five minutes, we'll talk to Mason Gordon, slam ball creator and chief executive officer here on Red Nation Radio 920.